This is a Federal News Network podcast. Welcome to Ask the Chief Information Officer on Federal News Network. Now your host, Jason Miller. We're joined by Garen Lacey, the Deputy Assistant Secretary and Assistant Director for Cyber and Technology Security at the Foreign Affairs Cyber Security Center. Garen, thanks so much for taking the time. Thank you for having me. We're also joined by Al Bowden, the Deputy Chief Information Officer for the State Department. Al, thanks as well for joining us. Thank you. And I'm joined with Joy Heckman. My Thanks colleague. for having me. Yeah. Let's just start with some, some basics. We just finished a great tour of the Foreign Affairs Cybersecurity Center. We talked about the, the specifics of your mission, but let me take a half a step back and ask you, it's been around since about 2016. Talk about the evolution a little bit. How's it different today than it was in 2016? How, what's your future looking like? Sure. To be honest with you, the components of, of the Foreign Affairs uh, Cyber Center here have been around for about 20 years. Uh, they were just spread across the department in different areas. Around 2016 is, is where we made the concerted effort to bring all the expertise, uh, specifically when it comes to cyber, together where we can leverage multiple capabilities from across the department to take a look at this, you know, obviously in 2016, developing threat trend. Where we are now in terms of 2016, a lot more mature and advanced. We've had a lot of experience in in combating cyber incidents from adversaries, and we've leveraged that experience to make this facility a lot more efficient. And by efficient, I mean fast. We're very quick in responding to cyber incidents um, and protecting the department's data. Let's talk about speed, because that's the key here when you talk about cybersecurity. If you're not fast, you're, you're well behind. How do you measure that speed? Is it time to incident, time to identifying, time to remediation? What are some of those metrics? A couple of different ways we're measuring it. You can measure time to alerting from when an incident happens to when you receive the alert, uh, time of alerting to time of response. And I think that's where we've shown the, the, the greatest improvement. At present, from the time we see alerts to the time we've stood up the appropriate response and gotten the right skill sets to bear is minutes. And that's exactly where we want to be, especially sitting here at the Department of State, the Center of Foreign Policy, where we see a lot of action. You said minutes. There's a push that we hear from a lot of folks in the cyber community to even get ahead of the the potential vulnerabilities or get ahead of the threat. How's the Cyber Center starting to look at that as the shorter, long-term goal, if you will? You you don't want to wait five years to get there, but it's also not so easy to get there tomorrow. So sure. that's why I'll term it shorter, long-term. Absolutely. You know, one of the things we're looking at as we mature is trying to get to that kind of almost predictive phase. And that's where we have a robust cyber intelligence ingestion program. We ingest cyber intelligence from multiple sources, internal to the State Department, external vendors, IC community, other federal partners, being able to ingest that real-time threat information to see how the environment is evolving, and then sifting through that noise and figuring out how it's specific to the State Department's environment and getting that to our network defenders before bang is is really where we're looking to go. And we've got a host of of activities in flight where we're looking to bring more automation to make these things faster, leveraging more cloud capabilities, as well as being able to leverage that internal and external threat feeds. You know, what I'm kind of struck by in all of this is that, you know, State Department, it, it kind of takes a village, I think is pretty evident that this has also been an evolution, right? You know, we've seen an enterprise chief information security officer uh, stand up somewhat recently that you mentioned that there's some external partners, you know, CISIS in the mix here, and that, 
you know, really the State Department, there, you know, there's not just one CISO the way that some smaller agencies might have, you know, that this is a, a sprawling team of people who are uh, keeping an eye on things. And so recognizing that, you know, how do you make sure all the moving pieces are, are in concert together here? And, and how do, does that keep on top of this evolving threat landscape? Oh, uh, yeah. In terms of uh, the CISO and the, uh, the move, e-CISO and moving pieces, you're absolutely right. And it, and it does uh, take, take a village. Keeping on top is basically strategy, you know, having a, a strategy and having a, a, a roadmap that is reflective of, of the department's, you know, DNA and also reflective of many of the uh, the things that uh, Das Lacey spoke of in terms of threat and threat landscape. So ensuring that we've got alignment, you know, in terms of our understandings and our capability between where we want to be from a strategic perspective, zero trust, of course, like all the other agencies. And that is a journey. It takes a while to get there. So what do we do in the interim? I mean, we we don't sit back on our laurels in the interim. We've got to continue to push forth on many of the areas that you had uh, heard Das Lacey speak of. You know, we've got to have agile and focused cybersecurity policy adjustments. You know, the landscape is much different today than it was in 16 or, at, or as it was in 2019, just a couple of years ago. Ensure that the CISO and, and CIO organization in concert with our colleagues in DS are making the right, we're, we're giving leadership the data to ensure that we're making the right strategic investments at the right time. And to, to Al's point, I think one of the focus is what we have in the department, and you mentioned that village, the department has unique skill sets and capabilities spread across the entire department. And when you're looking at protecting your network uh, from the best cyber actors in the world, you need to be able to leverage every single capability that you have at your disposal, not just with the ECISO creation, but the department created a chief data officer position last year as well. And that chief data officer was incorporated into the, the cyber significant incident response plan immediately to bring real-time impact assessment. We have robust law enforcement capabilities across the department that we leverage when the time is right, depending on the incident. So every single position in the department has something to offer. It's not just eyes on glass and network monitors. It's the from the counterintelligence expertise that, that the department leverages internally onto data analytics that reside outside of the IT and cyber field that we can leverage again. That's the beauty of having that agile construct where we can pull it all together. I want to go back to something that, that you all just brought up regarding the collaboration, the, this idea of a lot of moving pieces. Diplomatic Security has had the reputation of kind of going at it alone. Mm-hmm. They, they've not been good partners with Al's group. That's the, the thought, or at least the optics. Mm-hmm. How is the Cyber Center itself changing those optics? How is the Cyber Center saying, hey, this is we're all going to the starting point for all of us or the ending point or <laughs> because I think I think there's been a lot of you know when I've talked to former CIOs they've they've been pretty candid about the the DS folks not playing with the rest of the state department very well sure no I I I I understand that completely and I think you know you can only speak to where we want to go in the future right uh, and the department needs all hands on deck when it comes to the cyber mission because that's let's be honest that's the new battleground and where it's fought from my experience since I've been in this position for the past year whenever anything happens whenever there are barbarians at the gate you cannot tell the difference between IRM DS MSS consular affairs exec tech it doesn't matter at the end of the day we're all state department 
and this is not IRM's data, it's not DS's data, it's not it's not exec tech's data. It's the department's data and the department's mission and the department's the department's network, so to speak. Now, cloud, network, whatever. <laughs> but I think when you look in this room, unless we tell you, you can't tell where, any of a, where one office starts and another begins. We built out this space so that we can have partners here, including IC partners, including external vendors, right? That all-hands-on-deck approach that we're looking for. And that's what's needed. That's absolutely what's needed. And again, every bureau likes to say they are a unique snowflake, but the State Department is absolutely a unique snowflake. And inside the State Department, we have 32 bureaus that consider themselves absolute unique snowflakes. And being able to be agile enough to meet those bureaus' needs while securing their data as well requires a bit of thinking that is definitely outside of the box. And it's one of those things where if you don't live here in the department, and, and you haven't been overseas and seen what it's like at a post in Bangui, Central African Republic, that's got six Americans and 12 staff, but they still need to administer a network. They still need to access that information. It's all about making sure that that post can operate. And that, I guess it's a bit of a dead phrase, but in that expeditionary environment. And if you don't understand that, if you haven't been here, then it's hard to really wrap your head around that versus a traditional CIO cyber role and then what it means for the department. I want to jump in. Go ahead. Being the, uh, the old pair of shoes here, Dash Lacey, is, uh, as he mentioned, you know, a, a breath of fresh air, you know, coming in uh, relatively new. But looking at it, you know, historically and, and back to your comment about there's word on the street that there's, uh, you know, access to be grind between IRM and uh, DS. A, a little bit of that is true, but I don't think as uh, as extreme as, you know, what the word on the street may be. I think that oftentimes those those disconnects were, were the result of, I would say, data and perspective. So a different difference between data and perspective. So one of the things that, you know, colleagues in DS obviously know threat and, you know, this is, this is what they do. CIO uh, organization, you know, the heavy, heavy weight of operational, you know, responsibilities and keeping the department connected around the globe. So, yeah, oft- oftentimes uh, there were, you know, instances where those two things conflicted. So one of the things that this center has done and, you know, the improving uh, partnership with DS it's provided a nucleus so that we can take a look at the data and the perspective at the same time, you know, and as an agency, definitely on the cyber front, make data-driven decisions, not decisions that are based on, you know, perspectives that may or may not have been armed uh, with all the data in terms of spread, in terms of operational impact. And I think the other thing that is, uh, has been a significant enhancement there has been leadership at all levels of the organization that is focused, you know, not only uh, on, on the department's operational mission, but also having a, a keen understanding of the intersection of, you know, of cyber and, and operations. So having that shared understanding, you know, from top to bottom of the, uh, the totem pole is, is absolutely uh, invaluable. Let me, let me just do a quick follow-up on that. Are there steps that either Al or, or Garen, you all would point to to say, here was a challenge previously, and here's how things are better today between DS, IRM, and, and the rest of the, those 30 other bureaus. It's always nice to say, I've heard from multiple CIOs over the last 15 years, oh, well, this one's different because he or she is a former foreign affairs foreign service member. Oh, he or she is different because 
oh, they're not from there, so they don't have a foot in either. Sure. Oh, well, this one now really is different because they're going to put together this new XYZ approach that's going to bring everyone together. And then successive CIOs leave going, <laughs> do to myself here, why, why can't I make things come a little better? And again, to Al's point, maybe it's just optics. Maybe actually there is no problem. But just to be clear, I'm not harping on this. But oh, I no. Think, I think I this Foreign Affairs Center is a really great example of how you can solve that challenge. And I can give you two classic examples. Very early on when I took the position, we had an an incident. And I was fortunate enough to sit with these fine people when we called up our task force and watch that work. Let's be honest, we've all heard the rumors and rumblings about, you know, the discord and I think bifurcation was the the, the phrase that I heard a, a lot thrown around. But I sat in that room with that task force and I was only three months onto the job and I was the new guy. And I watched that task force work. It's like, this works. This absolutely works. And I don't know how anyone that sits in this room and watches this team of people across the entire department go after an adversary and win could get any other notion. And I actually challenged the team. I said, hey, this, this task force works. How do we spread this from not just incident response but to some of the more systematic issues that we've faced as a department. And the team came up with a great solution. We had our cyber resiliency sprints form. We've done about 20 of them over 100-and-something lines of effort, long-standing issues that were able to be knocked out by bringing that same type of team focus, clearly, clearly defined goals, clearly defined focus, and it worked. So uh, me being the new guy and being in, I was like, I don't, I don't see what the problem is. We're, we're getting things done here. And it can be that perception. The State Department just has this weird thing and this – you talk about DS. Let's look at that, right? DS is a law enforcement bureau inside a foreign policy agency, right? And then you combine that with I'm an engineer inside an agent-run organization inside a diplomatic-run organization. So I, I can't think of another uh, – bureau or agency that has more of a unique construct. Yes, the downside is there can be rubs and lacks of perception, but also we talk about diversity. There's more diversity of thought with all of these different backgrounds and unique skill sets all coming together. And sometimes it just, like Al said, it just takes the right leadership in place to aim all of those skill sets at the right goal. And I think that's what we've seen over the past uh, over the past year or so, um, the collaboration right now is as as best as I've ever seen it. I I would uh, absolutely agree with that. I mean, I think that you know at the, at the end of the day, it you know it comes down to you know absolute mission alignment. You know, under having absolute mission alignment at all echelons uh, of of the organization and providing you know leadership and a construct in place to in, to ensure that there's a shared understanding of what that means, what that absolute mission alignment is, whether it's the, the mission of a foreign policy, whether it's a cyber mission, whether it's all those other, uh, you know, contributing factors that, you know, depending on, you know, where you sit in the Department of State, what your contribution is uh, to that. So, yeah, there's been, you know, previous thoughts and opinions about CIO authority versus what DS authority, and I know that's what you're uh, getting to, but, you know, I think what we found is, you know, sitting, take, taking a step back and doing things like having a, an ESSO that can help us focus from a policy perspective, from a strategic perspective, from an investment perspective, 
having, you know, the experts that we have over in diplomatic security focus on the threat landscape, focus on keeping us and uh, the data within the departments. So point being, you know, when there's absolute mission alignment and everyone starts to understand how they can contribute to that mission and to that mission alignment, a lot of things that, you know, turbulence and a lot of things that historically were rough started to be not so rough because I think one thing that we all, you know, understood and and understand and agree on is uh, back to what uh, Lacey said earlier, the landscape, today's cyber landscape, there is enough work, uh, <laughs> anxiety, uh, pain, heavy lift, you know, et cetera, to be spread across, you know, the entirety, you know, of the department. And it does absolutely take all of us pulling together, you know, to bring things. One of my favorite sayings when you talk about threat is the adversary doesn't attack an org chart, right? And collaboration knows no org chart. We're diplomats at heart, and the, 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 at the heart of diplomacy is collaboration, coordination. If we can get countries to, to work together and we can get other agencies in the federal government to work together, it shouldn't be too hard to get two bureaus within the same family to work together, and I think that's where we are right now. Our, our leadership is absolutely focused on that. We have to take a break. My guests today are Garen Lacey, the Deputy Assistant Secretary and Assistant Director for Cyber and Technology Security at the Foreign Affairs Cybersecurity Center in the State Department, and Al Bowden, the Deputy CIO at the State Department. I'm Jason Miller, and I'm joined by Federal News Network reporter Jory Heckman. You're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. I'm joined by Federal News Network reporter Jory Heckman. Our guests today are Garen Lacey, the Deputy Assistant Secretary and Assistant Director for Cyber and Technology Security at the Foreign Affairs Cybersecurity Center in the State Department, and Al Bowden, the Deputy CIO at the State Department. It sounds like there's a, a, a number of ways to look at this kind of, you said, Al, nucleus, uh, you know, in terms of what's getting ingested and doing something with that. I'm really struck by kind of the the sprawl of the State Department, you know, 190 countries, you know, a couple of multiple blinking red lights are going on. Can you speak to that side of things, of how it's beneficial to have this nucleus that's responding to all of those blinking lights? It's back to what I said earlier, you know, in terms of having a place and a construct that works, you know, concert in concert with the CIO office in concert with uh, the CISO, in concert with the chief data officer, in concert with department leadership. But it's about providing that the framework and the nucleus where all of those different equities, all of those different perspectives, all of those different responsibility can be addressed and, and looked at and viewed in the context of what the data is telling us so that we're all, you know, making, you know, data-driven decisions. So this nucleus is about making sure that the data, you know, any any decision you make is only as good as the data you have. Uh, so this is about having the construct in place that provides that aggregation and nucleus of data that allows, you know, leadership at all echelons of the organization to make the, the best decision that you can given uh, whatever the threat landscape is or whatever the significant uh, cyber incident would happen to be at any point in time. I agree completely, and I think what empowers that dis those decisions that Al is talking about is there's a level of fundamentals, basics, that have to get done. And I think what you've seen from this tour here is that this team here has done the homework. 
They've done the fundamental, the basics. We know where the skill sets reside in our own environment. We know where the skill sets reside in our own teams. So when you have those multiple blinky lights flashing in multiple different locations, we know exactly who to put each on each blinky light so that it's not a hiccup. The one thing that has driven me crazy in federal government is to come to a meeting to go talk about something and the wrong people are, are, are the people that you need they either have the data or can make the decision aren't at the table. Drives me nuts. And that's what we know this team is good at right now. This team is at making is good at making sure the right people are at the table, the right data is brought to bear, and the decision makers are right there. And that's how you deal with the multiple blinky lights all at once, being able to walk and chew gum, deal with incidents, build for the future, and continue to n- nurture your people along the way so that the next level of of professionals that next set know what to do when they see those blinky lights. Karen, I want to go back to something you said about the cyber resiliency sprints. Mm-hmm. You did uh, 20 of them over 100 lines of effort. Can you just walk me through what some of those were, how they worked? What was the process and then the end result from them? It was one of the moments I thought I was being smart, but the team had already had worked it out. <laughs> and what we looked at is, again, talking about the multiple blinky lights and how do you get things done when everybody has so much to do. The team did an outstanding job of putting together criteria for the resiliency sprint. When the resiliency sprint started off, the criteria was it had to be low-hanging fruit, something that we could get done in two weeks with no additional resources, no additional money, and not take people away from their day jobs. As the team started putting these things together, four and five lines of effort every two weeks, this trust started to de- this bond developed between the teams where everyone liked racking up these wins. We were able to take larger initiatives and break them up into sprint size. I mean, what we're talking about is, is you know, agile business practice, but in, in that true State Department specialized way. And the team started racking up more and more and more wins and being able to do things that we thought we would not be able to do without additional resources, showing our leadership that this is a construct that we can lean on to get things done. And to date, it's been it's been one of our more more successful efforts. And it's actually now just become the way we do business uh, uh, across the department in, in terms of collaboration when it comes to cyber and IT. What's, can you give me an example or two or three about what were what was the sprint we did? Sure. Automation of sores or we did whatever. The sprints were born out of some incidents, so a lot of it was focused initially on visibility, getting more visibility into our DMZs. Right now, moving to get uh, more visibility into the into non-centralized, uh, non-enterprise networks, bringing some more uh, EDR tools to bear um, in spots where we had not had them before. The sprints have actually grown in scope to where we can handle technical or even policy-driven issues. One of the good things about the sprints is when each sprint objective is thought up, roadblocks are anticipated. The leadership buttons that need to be pushed to clear those roadblocks are there, and it's something that gets addressed in, in every sprint scrum. The sprint scrums only last 15 minutes. The teams get on, where's the progress? Here's, are you seeing any roadblocks? Who needs to clear them? And then they get right back to business. What I love about it with the agility of it is not, it's not designed to create meetings. It's designed to create results in as quick a manner as possible. 
And there, I would add uh, for you, Jason, that they're also, you know, very agnostic. You know, you've heard Garen and I talk about how, you know, leadership from the top to the bottom, CIO, the uh, ECISO, the Assistant Secretary for Diplomatic Security, our leadership, um, you know, within the department. The sprints also provide, you know, a, a, a framework that their equities, uh, their inputs, their thoughts, their guidance, direction – is also executed. So it's multifaceted. If, if uh, the CIO thinks something, you know, needs to be done and isn't moving, you know, from a cyber perspective at the cadence, you know, that he or she thinks is, uh, you know, effective and necessary, that resiliency sprint framework provides an opportunity to drop that in there. And that's where that absolute mission alignment that I mentioned uh, comes from. And every single individual within the various organizations participating in that framework now has one voice, you want input that is saying, do this by this date. So it also helps us, you know, prioritize the plethora of work, you know, that that, that we need to do. And most importantly, I think it's a reflection of, I, I, I just put it like this, sometimes we're our own adversary, you know, it doesn't take, you know, a foreign adversary, you know, to knock us out of the box. Sometimes we knock ourselves out of the box or we make our incident response activities and works more complicated than they have to be because we haven't gotten out of our own way or we haven't taken care of uh, hygiene items, uh, using Lacey's word, noise, you know, that are just uh, producing noise on the battlefield. So the sprints give us an opportunity to get out of our own way, not be our own uh, adversary, address all of uh, leadership's uh, priorities, and address the things that, from a lesson-learned perspective, we know have haunted, um, you know, and bitten us in the past. Now, we'll give a, a secondary benefit to the sprint as well, is that it lets teams from across the department work with each other that may not work with each other in the past, and it gives them an opportunity to learn what those other offices and teams do. Uh, one of the things that we do is we rotate the sprint leadership through different offices across the department, through IRM and through DS, to make sure that everyone's getting an opportunity to work one of those teams. And it's a great development tool, you know, to help our talent really get out, step outside of their traditional lane and learn more about the department. Well, um, I know CISA or I should be happy to know that we also have CISA directives that we ingest into the Sprint framework, and, and, and we've actually presented the Sprints to CISA as a method that they can get some of um, that they can go on the road and show uh, other agencies how to deploy and, and, and work with some of the CISA directives that come down the pipe. How long has these Sprints been going on? Six months, a year, a couple years, a couple of weeks? About 10 months, I think. Is that about right? Yeah. About 10 months, not quite a year. And uh, any, obviously they'll continue because they're successful, but do you have goals like we'd like to get so many done per year? So like any, any, anything you can share for looking to 23 and beyond? The beauty of the sprint is they're very agile and they are, they're driven by the moment. They're driven by what we need right now. So we may be in an incident or just wrap up an incident, and then the sprints will be driven by that incident. We may see a CISA directive come down the pipe and realize, okay, now the sprints are going to be focused more around the CISA directive. It depends, you know, the CIO or the CISO may have a particular directive, a particular reporting issue or compliance issue that, that needs to be looked at. It's really driven by what the department needs at the time. So I think that the only goal is to make sure that it continued, that the Sprint uh, continued to develop for the department or deliver for the department, one. And two, I think one of the things that we've talked about is how do we scale them up? How do we tackle larger and, and more important initiatives? We have to take a break. My guests today are Garen Lacey, 
the Deputy Assistant Secretary and Assistant Director for Cyber and Technology Security at the Foreign Affairs Cybersecurity Center in the State Department, and Al Bowden, the Deputy CIO at the State Department. I'm Jason Miller, and I'm joined by Federal News Network reporter Jory Heckman. You're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. I'm joined by Federal News Network reporter Jory Heckman. Our guests today are Garen Lacey, the Deputy Assistant Secretary and Assistant Director for Cyber and Technology Security at the Foreign Affairs Cybersecurity Center in the State Department, and Al Bowden, the Deputy CIO at the State Department. To look at this another way, of course, you kind of describe the interesting kind of buildup of this, you know, diplomatic security within a foreign service mission, and of course, supporting that as like this foundational layer of things. How do you kind of bring in more of the foreign service type of work, you know, the people who are maybe not the the cyber literate folks and make sure that they're not necessarily the the weakest link in terms of that that attack infrastructure and that that they're on the same page as you guys in terms of best practices. Here, we we have a, a very robust awareness program. With the awareness program, we do yearly cyber training for every user on, on the network. In order to access the network, they have to take the training. The training refreshes every few years. We just finished a refresh now to make it more relevant and, and useful. Um, it's mandatory training. Let's be honest, a lot of people just fast forward right to the end and try to take the test. But we're doing our best to make it engaging, um, to make it personalized to the department. We push out a host of threat materials and digest some of them by uh, subscription, others as as part of department notices when when relevant. Um, we do, of course, Cybersecurity Month is coming up, and we have a host of, of, of events planned, panels, speaking engagements. We brief our senior leadership almost biweekly on cyber incidents. The Assistant Secretary for DIPMAC Security receives a daily brief from me every morning at, at, at 745 uh, with any cyber incidents of the day that, that are discussed. You know, I'll let Al talk to a little bit of the, uh, of the, of the connections and briefings that we do for uh, senior leadership across the department. Uh, over and including the Assistant Secretary for Diplomatic Security, the CIO himself, the CISO, in addition to that, with leadership across the department, so we're talking about people at the uh, the deputy assistant secretary or higher uh, level, and it is higher, you know, and included in that. We do cyber strong briefings, which is basically having targeted sessions with the department's topmost leadership to give them, you know, insight into the department's cyber posture, you know, at any point in time, and also, you know, serves as as an opportunity to not only, you know, ensure that they have the context and understanding of of what's happening within the posture, but things that they can do to help, you know, sway that posture and to help, you know, continue to improve uh, cyber posture across the department. And also my opportunity to to gather, you know, context and input from senior leadership's perspective in terms of that intersection between cyber and, you know, what their duties and responsibilities and concerns and equities are within uh, their mission area. So having these very intimate briefings and conversations with uh, with our top brass is just complete. Uh, it, it's invaluable. Tips of the day, I think you may have mentioned that, you know, we're able to, we do tips of the day. One comes out every single day to every individual in the department that has a connection, you know, of your mobile device, your desktop device. So being able to customize those tips of the day to make them reflective of, of the reality, you know. Uh, so we can put any message in there at any point in time, and, and we've, you know, we're able to craft those messages to make sure that 
I'll just say there's some relevance uh, to those messages with uh, in, in, in comparison to what may be happening in the day and life of, of cyber within the department. And one of the things I'd like to add to what I was saying across those different forums, what we like to do is we try to, we try to meet the customer, uh, that audience, where they are. So, you know, we're not going to give an overly technical brief to our seniors. We're going we're gonna to frame cyber um, down to the seniors' responsibilities and how they can help. We have subject matter experts now that COVID is starting to knock on wood is starting to reside get back on the road and we actually have subject matter experts that go out and give threat briefings to our security personnel who aren't necessarily IT literate but are still security minded and we go out and give threat briefings at post specific to that post specific to that post environment and we frame it from a threat angle that's easily to easy to digest the digest for the for the post we do about 120 formal cyber threat reports and about 150 briefs a year for the department. You bring up this idea of, of briefing the senior leaders. Imagine the Secretary of State, Deputy Secretary of State, other deputies and secretaries. Of course, you're going to tell me they care about cyber. Of course, you're going to tell me they're really into it. They understand the threat. I mean, I don't expect anything different. Maybe, but I'll ask the question this way is, what kind of questions do they ask you about cyber beyond are we protected? What's our data? I mean, I, I, like there's going to be some basics, but, but what are they worried about? What, what are, what's the hard question that maybe they ask you all about how, what are you doing? Because the assumption that a lot of us make these days is if you don't know that cyber is a problem, you've been living under a rock. Yet then we hear, again, stories, not necessarily the State Department, but stories about CEOs of companies who, I don't want to invest in cyber. That's, that's, that's a lost leader. So then, you, so, so there's this kind of like, where, where have they been that they don't understand how serious this is? So, so what kind of? So that's why I'm getting around to. Of course, they support it. Of course, they they care. Of course, they understand the. You're going to sure. tell me they do at least. Sure. But what are the type of questions or, or asks are you all getting? So it's funny you mentioned that. <laughs> a, a, a lot of the senior briefs, a number of them that we've given in the past, have been direct results of incidents. So when we brief them, we have some very real and tangible. Uh, effects to show them. Again, I, I mentioned our chief data officer. That's where our chief data officer and Center for Data Analytics has come in great handy because they, they can, in real time, measure the impact of an incident while it's ongoing and then articulate that impact back to our senior leaders. So I can say in all sincerity, the last brief we had, we had assistant secretaries in the crowd with notebooks taking notes, asking, hey, what can we do? When we've seen in a couple of our cyber strong briefs where we brief uh, political appointees, new ambassadors getting ready to go overseas, and they understand the threat too. And oddly enough, a lot of their focus is on, well, how do I organically, how do I protect my personal accounts and my personal devices? Because they know as we continue to harden our enterprise network, the software targets become the personal targets. And, and that's been a slight shift we've been taking on, particularly with our senior leadership and awareness, making sure they understand that. From the assistant secretary level, the charge that we normally give when they ask how can they help, the fact here, the SOC, we're the last line of defense in terms of that, you know, defense in depth strategy. Well, the first line of defense doesn't work for IRM or DS. They work for our assistant secretaries and our bureaus. And making sure that they understand that what we need our leadership to do is articulate to their IT professionals that cyber is important. If you have a system administrator and they're, they're faced with a choice to either answer Al or I or me or email or respond to their assistant secretary, 
they're going to respond to their assistant secretary every time. So, you know, part of the messaging, and it's been received very well, particularly from our senior leadership at, at our Undersecretary uh, for Management, Bass, and Deputy Secretary for Management Resources, McCune, have, have absolutely been evangelists for us in this regard, is that from the very top all the way down to the administrator, we need to message that cybersecurity is important. It's up to Al and I to let everyone know what those priorities are and how to execute them. But it's up to our senior leadership to to amplify the fact that it is a priority. We have to take a break. My guests today are Garen Lacey, the Deputy Assistant Secretary and Assistant Director for Cyber and Technology Security at the Foreign Affairs Cybersecurity Center in the State Department, and Al Bowden, the Deputy CIO at the State Department. I'm Jason Miller, and I'm joined by Federal News Network reporter Jory Heckman. You're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. I'm joined by Federal News Network reporter Jory Heckman. Our guests today are Garen Lacey, the Deputy Assistant Secretary and Assistant Director for Cyber and Technology Security at the Foreign Affairs Cybersecurity Center in the State Department, and Al Bowden, the Deputy CIO at the State Department. I want to go back over to something that was talked about during the, the tour, which was the remote workforce. And, and how did I don't want to talk about COVID because I'm t- done with talking about COVID. <laughs> but the fact is, cyber's hard to do. That's one of the areas that's been most difficult to deal with that kind of hybrid workforce. Do the folks who work remotely today, are they working on unclassed systems? Have you set up some way that they have access to certain types of systems? Just give me a sense of, of how that comes together because I think, generally speaking, you think of people who work remotely or the people who do the financial management or the procurement. And the people who do cyber are here. So it's, it's nice to see that, no, not necessarily. You found a way that works. How have you made that work? I think the department was ex- extremely forward-leaning in, in making remote work a reality for the workforce. And yet we have staff here at the fact that are remote right now working. There are multiple different layers of connectivity that are available from actual managed devices to to a couple of things that we put in place for people to, to use their own devices. Now, I think where we've had a little bit of struggle, admittedly, is in the rush. Sorry to talk about COVID, but in the rush to get everything remote, you know, we did rush. And there were some things that we probably needed to revisit after the dust had settled that we hadn't. There are platforms that we use that have varying levels of sophistication and also introduce varying levels of, of of residual risk. And I think that's one of the things that, thank goodness, we wrapped our head around probably a little later than we should have. But we did wrap our head around it. We have been adamant in articulating what the risk is to remote work from certain platforms. Uh, and we have multiple efforts in flight right now to try to right-size that risk versus productivity, to right-size the user experience with the necessary inconvenience of making sure you're securing those remote sessions. Yeah, I just kind of add that, you know, the other thing that we've done, uh, Das Lacey alluded to, is, you know, we it basically, you know, started a door-to-door, you know, a person-by-person review of, you know, what does this particular resource or team member contribute, you know, to mission uh, to the overall team? What do they need? What's the frequency? So doing that type of analysis on an individual by individual basis, definitely in the area of network management and and cyber, you know, it it, it really was eye-opening data, you know, that allowed us to, again, make a data-driven decision in terms of being able to un- understand to what extent resources could be, you know, effective, you know, uh, remotely. To go back to a point you had said, 
in essence, you know, the the analysis is only as good as the data you guys collect. Can you shine for a moment a spotlight on the CDO, the Chief Data Officer, which is a relatively new player in all of this? You know, I know uh, the Center for Analytics is building up capabilities, new ones almost every day. In terms of that that role, maybe help us better understand the CDO's role in this and, and what they've been able to do in a relatively short period of time. In terms of cyber or just uh, across the portfolio of, in, in of that of CDO? So I can say, first of all, respect to our CDO, Dr. Matt Gravis. He's a mechanical engineer by trade, just like me. He's a good friend, <laughs> and hopefully he hears this. So I think I mentioned during the uh, incident response, one of the things that the the data office has brought to the table is real-time impact assessment. So while we are in the battle, the chief data officer is assessing the impact of what that environment, of what that incident and engagement looks like, which has been outstanding. Right now, we're engaged with the chief data office in a cyber data campaign, where we're looking at data from multiple different uh, angles. Particularly, we talked a, a little bit about log aggregation and bringing all of that inf- information to one spot so that that real deep analytical work can be done. I believe, Al, you have a couple of lines of effort with the CDO's office as well in the data campaign. Absolutely. I mean, multiple efforts. Uh, One, you know, the risk management framework, uh, otherwise known as the ATO uh, framework. So leveraging, uh, you know, the data engineers and and others on the the CDO's team to help us really, you know, automate. And it's kind of automation on steroids, you know, with the CDO. But but having the data to help drive uh, those points of investments that we should make in different phases of the RMF uh, process, you know, the six-step process. I say six because, you know, we've added one or focused, you know, on five-plus has, has been invaluable. The other area uh, with, with CDO, you know, assistance that's um, really relevant um, to cyber is the area of being predictive, as, as Lacey mentioned, you know. So within my role, you know, from a cyber operations perspective, looking at trends, looking at data that helps us, you know, to prevent that bang moment. So looking at vulnerabilities, looking at those things, you know, that I referenced earlier about us being our own adversary. Uh, So working with the CDO office allows us to really get, you know, deep look into that data and peel out those areas where there's things that we could proactively be doing, areas of business that we could uh, actually be making deeper investments in uh, hopefully all, you know, about uh, preventing or minimizing uh, impact with respect to uh, incidents, cyber incidents. Gentlemen, very much appreciated your time the conversation. I've learned a lot. So let me thank our guests. Uh, Garen Lacey is the Deputy Assistant Secretary and Assistant Director for Cyber and Technology Security. Garen, thanks so much for taking the time. Thank you. And Al Bowden is the Deputy CIO at the State Department. Al, thank you as well. My pleasure. Of course, Jory Heckman joined me. Thank you, Jory. Thanks for having me, Jason. I'm Jason Miller, and you've been listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. You've been listening to Ask the Chief Information Officer on Federal News Network. Tune in Thursday mornings at 10 or subscribe to this show on iTunes or Podcast One.